Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our scripture for today comes from Judges chapter 5, verse 1, and continuing with verses 19 through 31. It is a song of victory from a battle won that would mark 40 years for the people and for the land of Israel. Hear these words now, the song of Deborah. Then Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang on that day, the kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh. By the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. The stars fought from heaven. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The onrushing torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on, my soul with might. Then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse bitterly its inhabitants, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite of tent-dwelling women most blessed. Water he asked, milk she gave. She brought him curds in a lordly bowl. She put her hand to the tent peg, and in her right hand the worker's mallet. She struck Sisera a blow. She crushed his head and shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. Out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera gazed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long coming? Why tarry the hooves beat of his chariots? Her wisest ladies make answer. Indeed, she answers the question herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? A woman or two for every man, spoiled of dyed stuffs for Sisera. Spoiled of dyed stuffs, embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work, embroidered for my neck as spoil. So perish all your enemies, O Lord. But may your friends be like the sun as it rises in its might, and the land has rest forty years. When I was in high school, I read a couple of epic poems. Uh, Maybe you did as well. The Odyssey and Beowulf were two of them. And then as I sat at my Thanksgiving dinner table over and over again, I heard stories from my Uncle Dave who told that story again about how that fish that he caught on that one day. I also heard stories from my Aunt Maria who talked about the labor that she had with my cousin Jacob over and over again. These are my stories, but I hear through your chuckles that you indeed have these kinds of stories too. And I love the fact that we can get together and we can share stories. I think that's one of the most important gifts that we have with one another and a very intergenerational activity to do. It's a way of spending time with one another. It's a way of passing on important information and either consciously or unconsciously sharing a deep sense of who we are. So what's a story that you've heard? 
over and over again. Why has it been told? Does it change over time? Do you remember it correctly, or does it get a little bit more dramatic as the years go on and the story is shared more and more? What is it about that story that makes it so shareable, that it transcends not only time, but also conveys a sense of who that person was when they wrote that story or encountered that story, but also what it means for us today? And some stories are timeless. Just like a song you hear on the radio and you heard it 30 years ago, and yet it still holds true meaning for you today. What do some of these ancient words have for this generation, though they're over 2,000, 4,000 years old? The epic poem for our text today immediately flooded me with these sorts of questions. What does its complicated poetry say to us? Once we get past the fact that it's complicated poetry, and that was not my best subject in school by far. Now, it's impossible to strip away what floods our hearts and minds when coming to scripture always. Israel is faced up against an enemy, an army, and we can insert any issue over the past 200 years or even two days ago. And though battles in the Old Testament are never about the battle, they're about God's faithfulness and restoration of God's covenant promises. And we must not get lost in the details of who killed who, when, and where. We must turn our hearts to what happened. Mm -hmm. Why is this story being shared? How are the characters showing us how God shows up in that story and how God will show up in our story no matter what? Now, it's not lost on me that I, as a woman leader, have an opportunity to stand before you to explain further this scripture that centers around the leadership of a woman named Deborah, a judge whose leadership is filled with bravery, leadership that was noted that she ruled in an unexpected way, probably because she ruled differently than all of her male predecessors in any capacity before. She's not only the first women judge and the only women judge, but she's one of the few women leaders mentioned in the Bible at all. Her inclusion is unprecedented. Her inclusion is precedent setting. Last week, John led us through Judges chapter 4, and today, Jason, thank you, read Judges chapter 5 for us, retelling what happened in this epic poem of adventure and bloodshed, that we get two chapters of real estate for this unexpected hero and heroines is unlikely, and it's precedent-setting. Whatever the reason, uh, because Deborah's story is told, it widens the margins of our understanding of who God is and God's faithfulness of God's people. I'm not sure if a better comparison might be uh, the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg or the young Nobel Peace Prize winner who has had her life threatened many times, Malala Yousafzai, but Deborah led the people of Israel at that time as a judge. A judge is a prophet, a warrior, and a politician. We read about her famed and unique leadership, but the tale gets 
the most description after she hears a command by God for her life and the people whom she's leading. And up she goes. Deborah heard from the Lord to assemble a large army to go up against the people called the Canaanites. They had been oppressing Israel for 20 years, and Deborah summons her military commander, Barak, who would not go without her. Because of his disbelief, God says that the ruling and the victory will not be in his hands, but through the hands of a woman. Deborah summons all of the tribes of Israel, all 12 of them, and only four come. That's too few, she says. She curses their disbelief in God. But yet she goes up against the army anyway. An army led by Sisera, described with 900 iron chariots. Again, Israel has no such strength. Have you ever faced something big? Something so large? Something insurmountable and felt like the odds were not in your favor? What helped you brave that battle that you fought? What kept you going? Israel goes to fight, desperate for these 20 years of oppression to end, and God's faithfulness proves to be true as rain floods the plain and renders the chariots useless. When Sisera's entire army is slaughtered, it's a surprise to everyone. Sisera, the commander of the army, flees by foot, and in those days, the commander of the army die, dying was the one that sealed the victory. Sisera goes to a nearby ally camp, Herber the Kenite, but Herber's not home. His wife is, though. Deborah's story makes it possible for J.L. to even be mentioned, further widening the margins of our understanding of God's faithfulness. Not one woman leader, more women leader. Herber's wife, J.L., does not have the same allegiance because her family is from an Israelite nation. She, her allegiance is to the people of Moses, and she knows how to use her femininity in Sisera. She welcomes this exhausted warrior in her tent, and as you heard in the scripture, very descriptively, offers him some milk and rest. He sleeps. She drives a tent peg through his skull, and he dies as a result, sealing the victory for Israel. Jael does not do what's expected of her. She violates all hospitality rules. She violates her husband's allegiances. She violates her gender roles and one of the few women in the Bible to kill someone. And she chooses to kill and her violent oppressor. And because of it, it says in 424, Israel grows stronger and stronger. With Deborah, we see God's faithfulness in battles fought on a big battlefield. And in Jael, we see God's faithfulness in the battles fought in small intimate spaces of our lives. God cares about both. And God certainly needs to be bursting in there. I read about the impact of the inclusion of JL in an article written by Sarah Job a few years ago, and it was picked up by an article, um, a magazine called The Christian Century. Sarah is a chaplain, and at that time she was leading a Bible study on the topic of Judges 4 and 5, our text for today. This Bible study was conducted in a women's prison, 
for whom all the attendees were charged with first and second degree murder of their alleged abuser. It's not a surprise that the women connected with JL. It shares a narrative that the women we're familiar with. He was in her tent. A weapon was used. She killed him. JL's crime meets all the conditions of their crime. The only difference was that she was praised for it. They needed to hear this story because it changed their story. To be clear, neither JL nor the women in the prisons, their stories did not change, but how they shared their stories were. Now, if you're sitting here uncomfortable with how much violence and bloodshed is in this particular scripture passage, you're not alone. Especially knowing this is one of many disturbing stories in our scripture, and I constantly am saying that the Bible is not a book for children. At this point, the stories are meant to serve as a warning. Israel's descent into self-destruction is a result from turning away from God who loves them. A God who took them out of slavery in Egypt and continues to love them and show up and be faithful to them. There is no value in tragedy. If you just take it for face value. There is value to tragedy as a sobering explanation of our human condition. And it ultimately points to the need for God's grace and ultimate dependency on God and a Messiah who saves God's people. The inclusion of Deborah also increases awareness of God's presence and our recognition for dependence on Jesus. The inclusion of Deborah increases our awareness of this because Deborah was just a judge over a certain time period and Jesus rules all of our life. And Jesus gives us access to a God who loves us no matter what revealing the Lord's will for here and now. And with Jesus Christ, we receive God. The peace and rest that Jesus leads his people isn't just to into a temporary one. After all, we are all looking for a quick solve to our problems, our issues, our hurt, our wonder. It's a hard world that we live in and have lived in for as long as humans have existed. And in this story, it leans on human action. The characters are not simply watching God act, as you might remember in the parting of the Red Sea, where God comes in and there is this huge saving act, moving literally a sea so that people could be delivered. Despite the fact that the situation seems hopeless, where is God calling you to act? And in that, we need to keep with a God who brings us perfect peace so we can sleep through the night, even though the newsreels keep us awake. A God who teaches us to rest in God, heals our communities, and heals our societies in the ways that sin has caused brokenness. Epic songs are already being written for this day and this time. Minutes after the decision of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade on a couple of days ago, one of my favorite authors, who is new to me, she writes an article called Black Liturgies. 
for which I would never be a part of had it not been given to me by someone else. And I listen and I hear, and her words speak true, and she writes in the form of this poem. It's okay to cry, to feel absolute rage, to be disappointed and frustrated. It's okay. We'll get to work soon. But don't let them take away your humanity. Don't let them break your soul. Austin Channing Brown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.